Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, what up? Welcome in. Doug Gottlieb. And uh, this is the all-new All Ball. What a great, great pod we have for you. A guy who I've come to respect uh, for years with the, the success they had at Belmont is Rick Bird, longtime legendary head coach. Uh, retired a year and a half ago. We actually had his replacement, uh, Casey, on about a year ago on the pod. And uh, I thought, you know, Coach Bird just got announced, something I, I knew was happening, but into this year's class to the College Basketball Hall of Fame. I've gotten to do that ceremony seven times. Hopefully I'll get to do it next year. There is an induction ceremony this year. Anyway, I just reached out and said, hey, let's, I'd love to have you on and kind of tell your story. He you know, got back to me that moment and said, let's do it. And uh, we got that for you upcoming in a couple of moments. Just a quick reminder. We appreciate anybody who downloads this. Pretty awesome. Um, download, subscribe, and rate us. If you write a little review, I don't know. I'm told that it helps, helps the pod. And the numbers have been spectacular of late. We had over 250,000 people download the second part of the Frank Martin. Over 200,000 people download the, the Ron Baker. We're just, it was growing. And the more we grow, the better the guests are. Obviously, a little bit more money for your boy. All that stuff is good. So download, subscribe, rate, 
and write a review. And even if the review stinks, I mean, I prefer the review is good, but even if the review stinks, you know, what's crazy about this college basketball season that started so far is I think I'm already getting mid. I'm wrong about something. I'll get to that in a moment. And we're almost done with the NBA offseason. The NBA like just ended a week ago, it felt like, right? Although some guys haven't played games since February. I mean, that's weird, isn't it? The whole thing is weird. Here's the thing that I would say that I'm wrong about in college basketball. I think we should probably let everybody in the tournament. And I, I know what you're saying. Oh, here we go. Snowflake, uh, some sort of participation award. What about the Ivy League that's not having a season? Sucks to be you. That's actually my answer to those. But the thing is this, that what we've always done is this mathematical calculation over this game and this win and that win and the other. It's like, do you have any idea how hard it is to understand who's any good? Like, Ohio U nearly beat Illinois. Illinois previous to that has looked completely and utterly unbeatable. Now, I would like to think it's because Ohio U is pretty good. Right. Bulls doing a good job over there and and Illinois is tough. But I also like wasn't that Illinois third game in three days? And and Ohio U's as well. And you you take in all the different aspects of quarantine and travel and where you're staying and how you have to isolate yourself from the rest of the world, like all of those things. Well, we're gonna know generally, we generally know like Gonzaga's awesome. I don't think anybody's gonna argue with that one. I think Baylor, if they're healthy, they're gonna be really, really good. Like the teams that we thought are going to be good are going to, Illinois is going to be really good. Iowa can really score. I don't know if they can stop anybody, but they can really score. Wisconsin should be very good. You go through Michigan State, they look men versus boys. Man, Notre Dame did not look like they had the horses for that fight. But but what you can't tell is that there's so many, and I know you could, like, godly, there's all those factors in every game. Yes. Yes. And Coaches have warned me time and again in the past, dude, three games in three days when we play in Maui, three games in three days in Orlando. That's not really representative necessarily of who we are. We may be trying to work on something. We may be sitting somebody. We may be still figuring ourselves out. Like, that's hard. And then the conference play is some of these conferences games, you're going to go and play a team on back-to-back nights. So is the second game who you really are? Is the first game you really who you are? I don't know. Coming around to the idea of everyone getting in the NCAA tournament. Again, probably not going to happen. Not going to happen as I've said, they're not going to happen, but they could, they could change their mind. Why not? Send everybody a ticket to Indy and let's figure it out and let's roll. More basketball, that's good for everybody. Let's welcome in Rick Bird. He's not only the winningest coach at, at Belmont up until a year and a half ago. He was the only Division One head coach at Belmont. Took over the job when it was an NAIA program and just down the street at Lipscomb, they had won the national title the season before. How did he get to this journey? How did he find basketball? What type of coach was he? This is my discussion with Rick Bird, the Hall of Fame coach from Belmont. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Well, he was just selected uh, and he'll be inducted next year into the College Basketball Hall of Fame, something that uh, of the things I get to do, Seven times I've get to gotten to induct people into the College Basketball Hall of Fame, so it's something that's near and dear to my heart. Obviously, I love the sport, and I've been able to, over the last 20 years, really uh, track this gentleman's career. He's uh, the all-time winningest coach, obviously, at, at Belmont, and he joins us. He's Rick Bird. He joins us here in the All Ball Podcast. Coach, let me start with this. Sure. Where, where were you when you found out that you were going to the College Basketball Hall of Fame? 
Gosh, the funny story is, Doug, it's been almost a year ago uh, because the COVID ended up pushing everything back. They were going to announce the class at the final four. So they let me know literally uh, probably November, December of last year, sort of so I could get ready and make arrangements to travel to Kansas City and all that stuff. And then when that when it got canceled, they didn't really know when to announce the class. So short story, I found out a year ago, but I didn't know until a week ago that they were going to announce it on Sunday. Um, okay. So um, like you're, you're sitting on what is somewhat of a secret, right? And, and <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So how about this? When it was announced, who was the first person to call? Who was the first person to text? Who? That's a, that's a good one. You know, it, it, it was announced during the game the other day and it was so, and, and look, Doug, I'm not on any social media, so I don't know what gets out and when it gets there. But uh, uh, the, honestly, my first call was from Brad Stevens. Uh, but it was the next day. You know, and it, people don't call anymore. You know, they, they text and, and you get a few emails every now and then. But I think my first, my first text was from a, a former student assistant coach. Uh, it's in high school now. And I guess he was on top of it watching the game. And Who was that? Uh, uh, Matt Matos, his name, just a, a kid that came to school to to want to learn to be a coach. Uh, and uh, that's one of the great things about this business anymore is it, it just helps so many kids, uh, even if they're not players, uh, to, to, to move into the coaching profession. What did Brad say? Hmm. Well, we have been friends for, for quite some time since he was an assistant at Butler and certainly as a head coach. And, and he's been oh, kind and supportive of me. So uh, the basic stuff, you know, and, and I, I, tr- I tried to steer it away from that subject as soon as I could and, and talk to him about, about his summer and all that's going on. But uh, he's, he's a, uh, I mean, he's he's a little younger than me, Doug, but he's kind of my idol, really. I mean, I I wish I could have coached like he does. Uh, I wish I could have kept my cool and poised like he does, or Tony Bennett does. Uh, every now and then, he got away from me. It you know, it's amazing. It, it's um, uh, he's been a dear friend of mine, and uh, I, I agree. Like we're almost the same age. I think he's younger than me, and he's like a mentor, right? He yeah, has this, right. He has this like fatherly thing to him. He has and wisdom. So, I don't know. I don't know where you get that. <laughs> I, I don't either. And it's interesting because he told me, I said, how do you, how do you do it in the NBA? You know, you got these guys that are grown men. Yeah. You know, they got families, they got opinions, they got millions and millions of dollars. And I said, you know, how do you do it in the NBA? He said, he said, firm with warmth, you know, it's like you just firm with warmth. Like that's, that, that's, that's how I did one. in college. That's, that's how you do it. Then like, I just, I, I coach kids now, right now I'm coaching, yeah. you know, six, six, seven, eight and five, five, six, seven, eight. And I <laughs> lose my mind sometimes just because <laughs> I, I just, we just, I asked you to do very simple things. And I just, I just want you to try and do what I, I, I want. And if it doesn't work, it's okay. You know, the ball, I'm not even, you know, I'm not close to the point where I care if ball goes in, ball doesn't go in. It's just, did yeah. you listen to what I, I we taught you? Did you try and do it? And if not, did you at least 
get back on defense to try and make up for, for your team. And I, I just like lose my, like my, you know, so I, he's a, hey, he's remarkable. With, with I've, how I've had uh, 40 years of basketball camps and I, and I know what you're talking about. It's, it's hurting cats is really what it is. It, 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 it is. It's, it's the, the teaching kids the fast. Okay. So you grew up and you were a basketball player. You went to junior college in Florida, right? But where did you grow up playing basketball? Like what was your first memories of hoop? Well, I, I grew up in Knoxville. Uh, my dad was a sports writer for the Knoxville Journal, and and uh, his beat was uh, Tennessee basketball. And so, uh, I would uh, I would sell programs when I was oh nine or ten years old, and uh, instead of, I could have made more money selling cokes probably, but but when the buzzer went off, start the game, I got to quit selling programs. And I and I literally went and sat under the press table at my dad's feet with Ray Mears, the coach at Tennessee, about ten or twelve feet to the right of me, and and maybe Adolph Rupp on the other end, and um, and just got to see basketball at that age, that close, uh, and and I lo- already loved playing it, uh, but it's you know it's a it's a story that isn't around anymore. I mean, my, my backyard was where my goal was, and it started out with grass, and there ended up being no grass in the backyard, of course, and all that kind of stuff. It's such a fun game to play. Um, and um, so so that exposure uh, coupled with just how great the game is, and, and I think there's – I don't know what gifts people receive, but if I got any of them, it was kind of like – strategy, figuring out how to win, uh, how to make things work. Um, and I love that part of the game. It's I, I, I'm fascinated by it too, you know, from my dad was a coach yep. and I, I don't think he looked at it, the game strategically nearly the way I do our, our, our brains in, in a sport we both love. It just very different. You know, sure. he, he did, he did believe like the first thing you have to do is be able to counter the pressure of a defense Right. And that's and then you have to play as a team, both offensively and defensively. The concepts were very, very simple and you taught fundamentals. But in terms of schematics and strategy and finding mismatches and and how to create you know, multiple closeouts and like that wasn't <laughs> something that that he did. We, we just looked at the game differently. I used to go to high school games with him and I would play a little game and try and figure out what offense, what continuity offense the team was running. How many possessions would it take me to figure out what they were doing? <laughs> And, you know, we'd, we'd argue and uh, I'll never forget. There's a team, JW North, that actually very good high school basketball program, produced a bunch of division one players in Riverside. And we're watching them play modern day in a summer league game. And they ran a one, four high set into a UCLA cut. Yeah. Right? But then it really became flex. Okay, and so right. it was like one possession. I was like, that's flex. And he was like, that's not flex. <laughs> one, four. It's like one, four. That's a use. That's UCLA. I was like, well, where's the, where's the post up in the downstream? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, then let's see a couple more. We, that, that's what we used to. So what was your dad like? He's a, obviously when you, when you cover sports, you love yeah. sports, but what, what was he like? He was, he was a super humble man. Um, he was a great dad. He never, uh, I don't think he ever yelled one time at, at one of my games that I played in or never criticized the coach didn't let me criticize the coach. Um, and he was a, 
he was an old style sports writer, Doug, that was, that was not critical of, of almost anything. It was not a time. I mean, he, he flew on the, you know, the charter plane with the team and, you know, it was different. It was different back then. And he was really good friends with Ray Mears. Uh, not, not that he treated them specially, just never was critical about anybody. I, I will tell you a real quick, short story. He covered the Tennessee basketball banquet one time back in the sixties. And, and a young Bob Knight was the speaker. Coach Mears knew him and brought him in to speak. And he proceeded, of course, to, uh, to rattle off about uh, women and officials and sports writers and so on, like you can imagine. And at the end of my dad's story about it, he said, uh, last night's speaker was Bob Knight. There's been some very good ones in the past, but last night was not one of them. That, that was about as critical as he ever got. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, so my dad actually went to college with Bob Knight. Oh, so yeah. They, uh, yeah, so my dad was a walk-on at Ohio State. Ohio State, yeah. And Bob Knight was on the varsity. And he used to, my dad told me that his, his jump shot was known as the blue dart, kind of over his head, <laughs> sixth man. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, he used to go to Coach Knight's uh, clinics when he was a young up-and-coming high school coach and then a college coach. And he has somewhere in my mom's house, there's stacks and stacks of notes that he took. And it, it's very interesting, you know. The, the, you may, we start with Brad Stevens who I'm sure he's cursed. I'm sure he's raised his voice at some point in time, but remarkably successful in a completely different style. And like your message can get across the exact same, right? It's like the, the thing we learn as well as people is like, some people don't have to, you don't have to actually raise your voice to get what you want. And yet, obviously that was not the style of, of, of Bob Knight. Um, okay, so as a player, as a player, yeah. how good were you in high school? Uh, I was uh, honorable mention all state. I was a uh, uh, nice little point guard who could really handle the ball. Tennessee had a player back in the '60s named Danny Schultz, and he was a phenomenal ball handler and could even do all that ball handling stuff. You may remember that Ray Mears used to do. They had a juggler on a unicycle during warmups. I mean, he was a right. showman, and 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 Coach Mears was big during practice on ball handling stuff. So. I could I could really do that kind of stuff at one time, uh, but I, I mean I'm five eight. Um, I, I went I thought I was better than I was. Didn't have many opportunities. Went to junior college in Florida where they played in it, not even a point guard style, and I was I was lost and in the wrong place. And uh, went back to Tennessee and just went to school for two years at, at the university, and then that's the time when freshmen became eligible. So Tennessee started a junior varsity team instead of having the freshman team. And I played for a year, even as a fourth year uh, college student. And that got me back in the game or I don't know where I'd be right now, honestly. Uh, and then the next year I was a student assistant, but still practiced with varsity. That's Ernie Grunfeld, Bernard King era. Uh, Ernie, so Ernie. I practiced against those guys every day. Needless to say, didn't guard either of those guys, but, uh, but uh, that got me back in it. And, um, um, and you know, rest of the story. I'm I'm lucky. Um, let, let's go back. So, Florida Junior College. What junior college was it in Florida? Central Florida Community College in Ocala. Okay, so you're in Ocala. They won't remember. No one there will remember I was there. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. But 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 you do, and every experience, positively and negatively, affects. Like I'm guessing, just guessing. Okay. You mentioned not running a point guard system. I, I yeah. know exactly what you're talking about. I. 
My, my opportunities in the NBA came with the Lakers. Okay, that's the triangle. It's not a point guard system. You got to be yeah. a shooter. The opposite of what, what I do. And, and it, it does, like, in your brain, you start to – when you have players, and granted, at Belmont, you're able to recruit your players, right? But sometimes you have players that don't fit your system, and you have to decide, do I recruit this kid? Or now that I have this kid, do I try and change my system to it? And I'm – and sometimes – you know, if you're if you're smart and you take in all the information from your life, which you have, I'm sure that in some ways, tell me if I'm wrong, affected you in your coaching that in the back of your mind, you always understood the player that the system has to fit the player. Otherwise, you're asking a kid to do something that he's not physically capable of or doesn't bring out the best in him. That's a great point. And I, I, I hope that one of the things we did well at Belmont was was make those kind of choices to get players that fit the way we played not only fit the way we played, fit the university, socially, academically, so on and so forth. And I think it's the reason that we had really a pretty fortunate or unbelievable rate of not having transfers. Uh, because you make you, if you make good choices on the front end and you allow the kid time to make good choices, and we weren't a pressure recruiting staff, uh, then your chances that, that things are going to work out good are uh, – much better this is it we've got an amex platinum pro on our hands ladies and gentlemen we haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the centurion lounge is he connecting to complimentary wi-fi oh my look at that he is and you will not believe where he's going next the amex dedicated card member entrance for the win unbelievable when you get travel perks with amex platinum you're part of the action that's the powerful backing of american express Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Um, okay, so Bernie and Ernie, okay? yeah. it's it's kind of more the stuff of legend now, 
Yeah. And I would, I would say that the sad part is that because Bernard King, one, he got hurt and two, because it just got overshadowed by the Michael Jordan era or even in New York with the Pat Ewing era, there are a lot of people that you say Bernard King was just an absolute scoring machine. There's, there's a high percentage of current basketball fans who don't know how great he was, nor do they really, other than the kind of catchy nickname of Bernie and Ernie show, yeah. do they actually know? Um, what were those two like as players, as people at that point in time in their lives? Well, I still would have a hard time saying that I've ever seen a more effective college basketball player than Bernard King was. Uh, and of course in college, he was, he was pretty much all low post. Uh, and it, it pretty, it was amazing to me how he was able to adapt and play like he did in the NBA from the way that he played. He's as competitive a player as I've ever seen. Um, uh, he was, uh, he was young and immature and he made some mistakes while he was at Tennessee and he's admitted that, um, and, and, and has done wonderful things since then. Ernie was a, Ernie was a talented player, but he was, he was physically and mentally tough and he was cocky in, in the good way, thought he was good. Um, I remember we just kind of messed around one day on practice floor, played a little one-on-one and I told him he was quicker. I thought he was quicker than, than he looked. And he said, man, that's good for my head. I appreciate that. Uh, and, uh, but he, he was the guy that knew how to play, knew how to play the game, uh, was extremely talented, but complimentary to Bernard. Um, and um, it, that, that was fascinating. Uh, that's the reason they built Thompson Bowling Arena in Knoxville, because you couldn't get in that Stokely Athletic Center to save your life when they were playing. Uh, you, so you're there for, as a student assistant for a year, right? That's an interesting dynamic in and of itself, right? Like you practice with the team, but you're trying to become a coach. You're not going to try and be a snitch, but you do know a lot of the stuff that's going on, right? There's, there's this, you're, you're kind of both, which yeah. means you're kind of, yeah. you're, you're kind of nowhere. What was that like? Yeah, I think, and I think that's true now to the guys I was talking about. You have a, you have a, a, a kid come in as a graduate assistant coach or graduate manager, or whatever it's legal to call these guys anymore. And, uh, and they're, they're friends with all the players, but then they've got to assume a different role at times. But, uh, uh, I was really, I was, I was basically coaching, helping to coach the junior varsity team, but literally just practicing with the varsity team. So I didn't quite have too much of that going on, really. And I even still lived at home and not in the dorm with all the guys. So it, it was a little easier for me to be have a little distance. Okay, so at that point in time, you're helping coach, and you've been around ball your whole life. You know, you you've seen the system in Ocala. Ben Bettinette back now, you know, Ray Mears and everything he likes to do. Um, what, when you get the, how'd you get the Maryville job? Well, uh, I was supposed to be graduate assistant at Tennessee and there was a funny NCAA. I mean, I was there and I was working and assistant AD came up to me and said, sorry, you can't do this. I was in my sixth year of college, which is indicative of my academic success uh, but <laughs> they uh, call you Dr. Beer, Dr. Bird. But, but they said, but they said that you, that you had, you had to be in your fifth year and in graduate school. And it took me four and a half years to graduate. So they took it away from me, but 
just just prior to the seat to the uh, in fact, right as school started, a friend, Billy Henry, who had been basketball coach at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee, and then assistant to Tommy Bartlett at Florida, and then gone on as the head coach to Baptist College, which is now Charleston Southern. He, he had resigned as basketball coach there in Maryville College, hired him as AD, head basketball coach, head baseball coach. But he couldn't even get there. He had a, he had a contract to finish teaching classes. So he asked me to be the assistant coach and, and basically run practice until he could get there. And I even coached two games by myself. I hope they're not on my record. Uh, but uh, so I got I got thrown right in the fire coaching a college basketball team division three uh but uh and then i was assistant there two years and then he promoted me to the head position when i was 25 years old and uh i'm i'm ashamed to admit how little i really knew all i knew was to compete and try to figure out a way to win but uh all i knew was tennessee style of offense Uh, which was which was what uh it was a lot it was a lot of um uh A lot of uh, they ran the fast break this summer. I mean, it was a point guard system. They ran the floor. Bernard King could really run the floor. They had two wings going down. They had the, the typical sort of transition with the trailer and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but when they got set up, and Coach Mears was most of his career a very deliberate coach uh, offensively. But as they got better talent, they started running. And uh, it, it was a lot of two man game with, with Ernie and Bernard on the same side of the floor, uh, basically. Very, very little. If you went back to, to that time in the 70s, I don't even know that you'd see a, a ball screen at all in some games. It, you know, that would be awfully odd to people watching the game today, but that wasn't used very much. Post Ernie would go one-on-one, they'd post Bernard up. Um, so, anyway, uh, I learned I learned really how to coach by by competing against other coaches throughout my career. I, I really didn't have at, a mentor. At, at that level, Maribel, who was someone who you coached against, who you learned a ton from, and you have to this day have a ton of respect for? Well, uh, Fern Canfield was the coach at Washington Lee for a long time, and he was really good. Tom Bryant was a really good coach at Center College in Danville, Kentucky. A uh, guy named Dwayne Farmer coached at Tennessee Westland down the road. Uh, but, but as I went further, you know, into small college basketball, the guys, I, I would tell you, Don Meyer at, at Lipscomb, a lot of people know about Don. When I came to Belmont, that's who we had to figure out how to beat. They had just won the NAIA National Championship when I took the job here at Belmont. Um, Paul Patterson at Taylor University in Indiana was a great coach. He coached uh, Chris Holtman, for example, several guys. Yeah. Uh, and then um, – uh, a guy named Randy Vernon at Cumberland College in Kentucky was really, really a good coach. Uh, so, I mean, that's just right off the top of my head. Uh, those guys taught me that I better get good or I was going to get beat. Okay, so um, your your best season at Maryville was what? Oh, I, I, I was head coach for two years. We were uh, we were two and thirteen after my first fifteen games. So. That doesn't look like a college basketball Hall of Fame resume right there, does it? <laughs> and then we ended up 8-16, and 16, and then the next year went 15-11, which may not knock your socks off, but it was the most wins in 31 years. 
at Maryville College. They were not a powerhouse. I went three years an assistant to Tennessee Tech. Tom Deaton was the head coach. He had been an assistant at Tennessee. Uh, and, uh, and then I went to Lincoln Memorial University for three years, and we had good teams there. Um, and then, so you show up at Lincoln Memorial. How yeah. much were you making? Well, I can tell you, I, I made uh, as an assistant at Maryville, I made five thousand. Uh, as a head coach at Maryville, I made eight thousand, then eighty-eight hundred. Um, I got to when I went to Tennessee Tech as assistant, it was about twenty, and I think I think I made uh, oh twenty-seven or twenty-eight thousand a year at, at uh, Lincoln Memorial, and and then probably thirty-two thousand when I came to Belmont as AD and head basketball coach. Um. So how do, how do you make, how do you, how do you make ends meet? Like, what else do you do? Like you, you just coach basketball. Did you teach as well? I mean, because I taught, you, this I is, this is the eighties. Yeah. I taught at Maryville college. I taught tennis class. I can't remember what all I taught um, at Tennessee tech as an assistant. I, I, I taught community health. Um, well, that, that lowered the standard of the degree at Tennessee tech, I think. Um, But at Lincoln Memorial University, I was just a basketball coach. I had one uh, poorly paid assistant, uh, but that is all I did. And and Doug, I I can't even remember what I used to do when we didn't have a computer in front of us during the day. I mean, literally, what did I do? Uh, I don't know. I don't know either. So, uh, so one of the things one of the things I've always been told about you is how well you treat assistants, right? It's one of those things that where that when, when coaches talk to you, when they, when they talk about the type of person somebody is, it's not just it's how you treat your players and how you treat your assistants, right? It's, it's a lot like, a lot of us as people, like, I don't know if you trust people that don't have dogs, right? It's like how you treat your animals, how you treat your children, et cetera, is, is what type of person you really are. And, okay, so you're at, at a head coach at Lincoln Moore. Who was your assistant, your poorly paid assistant? Jeff Cheek was his name he had uh he had played um after me at Maryville College uh and but he lived he lived up there and so I knew him and uh and so he didn't he was not going to be a coach really I mean he, he ended up getting into business and making more money than he, than he ever would have coaching I think what, what is that like in those old days where just two guys and you're just trying to figure it out with a with a basketball team it's all I knew and in fact Doug, I never did get used to having a lot of people around. I, you know what I mean? I mean, as we got, yeah. as, as, as our, as our program grew in division one and, and we got more support staff and more, more kids want to be managers. And so they could learn how to be coaches and, and trainers. And I mean, we didn't have a trainer at Maryville college or at, or at LMU or at Belmont did there for practices or anything. If you got hurt, just kind of slid them off the floor. And I can tell you something else. They got back up quicker than they do these days. And you probably remember what I'm talking about a little bit. But, oh yeah. Uh, uh, but we had, uh, we had, a, we had, we had a guy like that when I was at Oklahoma state, I'll, I'll leave his name out of it. But he like every day would go down every, every single day, every single day. So I have an 11 year old son Yeah. and he played last year, he played tackle football first time in his life. And okay. the first game he's running back quarterback where he's running back and he makes it move and he gets just smashed he's a little guy so he's laying there they come out and get him and you take him off the field and he like he takes his helmet off now he's it's weird like kids today 
at that point, I don't think he had ever watched a full tackle football game, right? Like his first flag football game, he was crying afterwards. He was like five. He's like, there are no spectacular plays. He's like, dude, they, they watch YouTube, right? And they watch highlights. It's all they watch. So he didn't know that when you come out, like you got to sit a play and then come back in. And so I told him like, are you okay? Yeah. Well, get back in the game. He's like, well, when? Like, well, I don't know. Just tell your coach you're fine. He thinks you're hurt. <laughs> so after the game, we had a discussion about being hurt or being injured. Yes. What's the difference? I go, well, if you're injured, I got to call the doctor. I'll go to the hospital and we'll check you out. If you're hurt, dust yourself off, get back in the huddle, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, do whatever, the, whatever the play is called. <laughs> so the next game, they're playing a team and, you know, he gets the ball, he makes a run, makes a cut, nice move. And he just, bam, gets smashed. And he's laying there for a second. And all of a sudden it clicked in him and he hops up and he goes, and tells, and the ref's like, son, are you okay? He's like, I'm just hurt. I'm just hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Sir Dustin's <laughs> I'm not injured, I'm just hurt. Anyway, very, very funny. But but it's it's uh it's it's fascinating because you know they don't the way in which they see things and learn things is so very different because they don't understand and and but anyway, to your to your point, yes, now that they have trainers, there's a lot more injuries and guys need a lot more rehab and they need all this attention. And like yeah. but we well, we, we were fine. We, we all survived back in the day when yeah. you didn't have a trainer. I mean, every, anyone who's ever played overseas has had to tape themselves before if you needed tape, right? You had to find a way to, you know, hop in a cold tub or whatever. You just kind of figured it out. And there's, yeah. there's, something, there's something about that, that that is missing now as we try. And the more things we give you, the more things people need. And as you said, even as a coach, you don't really need that much. You don't need a huge support staff. You just, you know, give me a whiteboard. Give me a team. Yep. Kids will learn and listen, and let's let's go. Let's go have some fun. Well, and and back to your point, I guess about assistant coaches, and uh, I just I just felt like that uh, created an atmosphere where they wanted to come to work every day. And uh, you know, I had a I had assistants. I had one staff that was was ten years plus the same three guys, um, and um, and they all had young kids and. And they knew they could take care of that if they needed to. And uh, uh, I just, you know, I wanted I wanted them to enjoy their job. And I didn't feel like I had to do what I've heard some people do. And we got to have somebody here at five in the morning. We got to have somebody here until midnight. We got to do this. What is the point? Oh, and uh, what is you know, like? What is the point? Exactly. Um, and so uh, it's it's um, you know it takes a lot of hard work, but I hired people that were self-starters and we're going to do what it took. And, and again, it, it goes back to the choices you make of the people you bring in around you, whether they're assistant coaches or whether they're players or whether, um, whether student workers, your trainer, I mean, you, you know, your, your strength and conditioning people, uh, the, the choices you make in those areas are huge. Um, you, Tell me about the Belmont job, because because the for people who know Belmont now, it is very different than the job that you took you took on. When when you decided to leave Lincoln Memorial, I know part of it was they could get you more money because they would make you the athletic director as well. But take me through the process yeah. of taking the Belmont job. Well, uh, I was at LMU for, and you'd think that meant Loyola Marymount, right? But yeah. <laughs> but up here it meant Lincoln Memorial University. I was there for three years. In my second year, we played. We ended up playing Belmont three times. We had them. We scheduled them home and home. 
when we ended up playing them in a holiday tournament. Uh, and we, we thumped them pretty good. Uh, and, and on my trip to Belmont and I, and it, when I was at Tennessee tech, that's in Cookville and Nashville is kind of it's big city. It's where you right. get the news. It's the, the Tennessee and the TV station, so on and so forth. So I kind of felt like I knew Nashville pretty good. And I, and I saw a lot of potential in that school and, and their coach uh, resigned. Don Purdy resigned in January. Uh, he stayed on to coach the rest of the year, but they started their search. And, and this seems really odd, Doug, but um, they asked me, I, I had a good friend. His name's Ron Bargatze. He had been a head coach at Austin P and was an assistant for Roy Skinner and uh, at uh, Vanderbilt back in the day. And Ron knew the, uh, the Dean of Students and the president. And he threw my name in there and they brought me down for an interview and I literally took the job and it was announced before my season was over at LMU, which seems really strange to me these days, but uh, it didn't then, I don't think. And uh, so I, I, uh, I just thought there was great potential. I, I really liked the, uh, the president. It, it really wasn't about the money as much. I mean, I, I enjoyed three years, but if you've ever been to Harrogate, Tennessee, um, and then you have Nashville as a choice. Well, Tennessee, yeah, uh, it's, it, it's it was pretty easy. And, and Belmont was Belmont has turned into you know uh, it's just it's quite a school. And uh, so anyway, um, but but you're right. The, they had a for the previous twenty years or so they had a pretty significant losing record. And and I'm moving into a job where Lipscomb that time David Lipscomb College and it was Belmont College. Uh, David Lipscomb College was two and a half miles down the road, and they were the 1986 NAIA national champions. So I've I've often given Lipscomb a lot of credit, even though they're such a rival for us. Uh, if their program wasn't that good and Don Meyer wasn't that good a coach, we'd have never got there. Uh, they pushed us. They were a standard, and, and to reach that standard, you had to become one of the best NAIA programs in the country. How'd you do it? Because it only took you three years to win the national championship. How'd you do it in three years? No, it, you know, we, we, uh, we didn't make it that we made it to the, to the tournament in my third year in the NAI. We beat Lipscomb, uh, in a, in a game when they were 38 and one. And, uh, we went to their place and beat them, I think 103 to 98. We had a, we had a post player get 58 points. Uh, and uh, 29 in the first half. And the famous story I hear is that, that Coach Meyer said in the locker room, well, Joe Bailing's got 29. He's never going to do that again. And he got 29 again. And, uh, and we win the game and, uh, and go to the, the tournament, uh, the NAIA tournament for the first time Belmont ever went. And then, and then we, uh, uh, we we had a we had a great year of our own, thirty seven and two in nineteen ninety five. Uh, lost in ninety five and ninety six in the in the NAI semifinals. Um, but um, how'd I do it? I don't I mean I don't I don't. You know, you just you just learn. You dig it out of the dirt. You you make mistakes in recruiting, and you and you see where you made them, and you choose make better choices. And I recruited. Okay, but but like a like a Joe Bale, like okay, so he. How did Joe you get him? Was Joe Bailing was there. Uh, his his mother worked at Belmont, and he had he had 
been a very average to below average high school player, but he was six, seven or six, eight. And, uh, he, uh, the year before I got there, uh, he, he had redshirted. Then he, then he plays the first semester for me and doesn't play very much and becomes academically ineligible, stays in school, uh, works his tail off in the summer. And, uh, He's All-American the next three years. In his junior year, he was NAI Player of the Year. And that got us playing four-round one, which is what the offense we played most of my coaching career. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The, the the two teams that lost in the, in the semis, you know, and then you guys transitioned, started to begin the transition to division one. Yeah. Was there for you, was there a, I'd really like to stay at this level and win the thing before we transition. Or was, <laughs> was that not, I mean, right. Like you, you had built it up to where you're this yeah. juggernaut and you gotten so close and then, you, and then you leave and go division one. Was there this thought that, man, I'd like to dominate this level and win, a, actually win a championship before moving on. I, well, I, I certainly I felt we were the number one team in the country and, and Birmingham Southern beat us in the semis, semis, Dwayne Rebo, really good coach. And they won the championship, but I really thought a little bit the opposite way, Doug. And that was, uh, you know, now we got to sustain this. We got to be better than 37 and two. We got to be better than two straight years. And I would love to have won it, but 
when the president made the decision to, to go to Division One, it was a little bit of a relief. I mean, I, I could go back to uh, let's start trying to figure out how to win games instead of how not to lose. Uh, you get that feeling as a coach when when you've had good teams. So, you know, I think most of us would choose to be a Division One coach if we could be one. And I got to I got to stay at the same school that I already loved, and and become a Division One coach. So. Uh, I actually, we had some rough years uh, when we went Division One, but most of that I enjoyed because I enjoyed building it, and I enjoyed seeing us getting 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 better, making steps. And again, it was a different mentality. I was, I wasn't okay with losing, but it didn't just <laughs> drive me crazy because I knew where we were. Um. I've, I've, t- I've relayed the story that you told me once on radio, and I think it was when you got your 500th win, maybe, which is when you first got to Belmont. And didn't you sell popcorn during the women's <laughs> game for the men's game? Like, wasn't that part of the job? Well, well, no. It, I mean, uh, yes, is the answer. I did. I did have to pop popcorn and, and man the concession stand, but it, it wasn't really part of the job. It was the athletic director's fault for not hiring someone, and I was the athletic director. <laughs> so so when I saw nobody was going to open the concession stand, then I had to get in there and get it done. So that's, yeah, that's kind of a famous. Did you have anybody walk up to you and, and comment on your coaching or on your team while you're, while you're doing this? This, this was the first game I ever coached at Belmont. And so no, I'm, probably most people didn't even know who I was. I who you were. Not, not to mention that there probably weren't, you know, more than 200 people there, period. So, uh, no, nobody's seen my team yet, so I didn't get criticized any behind the concession stand. Uh, but uh, and we won our game, so maybe I should have done that more often uh, throughout my career. You, you mentioned the, the the years in Division One. It was, I guess, really seven eight years until you had it. You know, six years until you got to the A Sun. Once you have a conference, that that changes things. Yeah. Uh, and then you did well your second year, and then your third year you get the postseason play, you get to the NIT. Yeah. What was was it a player? Was it a group? Who turned the tide, which took you from a program trying to find your trying to find your sea legs in Division One basketball to being okay now able to compete at your level at the top of your league? That's a really good question, and obviously it's it's more than you know it's building incrementally as you go along. But but we recruited two young men out of Northern Indiana, Adam Mark from Bremen and Steve Draben from LaPorte. Um, fast forward to their junior year, Steve led the country in free throw percentage and Adam led it in field goal percentage roommates, uh, but um, in division one, but those guys graduated in that year. We went to the NIT in 2004 and uh, they, they brought an Indiana basketball mentality uh, to our program, uh, the, to the locker room, to the weight room, to the practice floor, uh, as much as, as we as coaches would try to emphasize that, um, those guys just did it automatically. And that's, that's the only way they knew how to play the game. And so I I give them a ton of credit for changing the, the culture within the team that sometimes coaches can't even do. When you, uh, I want to fast forward to 2005, 2006. Okay. That was the first year you went to the NCAA tournament. And I, I know that 
in your heart, you have your better teams before that. Right. But, but when you, when you win your conference tournament and you beat Lipscomb in overtime and you finally get to the NCAA tournament, it's the finally we have arrived and all of what you've built gets not just rewarded, but actually discovered by most of America when you're, when you're up there as the field of, of, of 64. Sure. Um, so going into that season, what do you remember? What, what, what did you think the prospects were of that team? Well, after the 2004 season, it was a good team and got invited to the NIT, which was, as far as I knew, might be the height of our program while I was there. That was pretty good. Uh, we, we lost a lot of guys. Uh, uh, we had a transfer from Tennessee named Boomer Herndon that sat out that year. And we were not real good the year before 2005 and six, but we actually ended up finishing third in, in, in the league when, in Atlantic Sun, if you look back at that time, had some pretty darn good teams and coaches in it. Uh, and, uh, so we, uh, we made some strides during the year with young guys. Uh, and, and so we felt good. We felt good going into that year and we had a, uh, we had a good year. We, we split with Lipscomb during the season and we tied them for the conference regular season. And then we tie them at the end of that championship game. And Doug, I can't tell you, unless you live in Nashville and, and know the, the tremendous NAI rivalry. And we, we, we sold out Vanderbilt Memorial gym one year in 1990 for a game. And so, we turned Division One first, and now here's Lipscomb maybe going to beat us to the punch and make the NCAA tournament. I, I don't think I've ever been more nervous before a game, ever. Uh, and um, and Justin Hare, uh, sophomore from Cleveland, Tennessee, we're down three. They make a three with about 25 seconds left. He drives the floor. I, I of course, don't have any idea whether I need to call timeout or just let him play. And he – he drives the floor and gets fouled on a, a, a layup and makes a free throw and they go down and miss and we win the game in overtime. And that changed our world. I mean, that, that who knows what direction we would have gone in or Lipscomb would have gone in had it gone the other direction. Uh, so uh, your first trip, your first time to win, your first trip to the tournaments, uh, unsurpassable if that's a word. Yeah, no, it's 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 pretty remarkable. A couple of years later, you took on Duke. You took Duke to the wire because and and you know how it is at at when you get to the tournament, like you got UCLA, you got Georgetown, you got Duke. Like who's left? Like why don't you give us the Lakers next year? Sure, why not? Right. Um, take take me through the Duke game. What what your memories are? I remember we had a terrible practice at Georgetown. We was in D.C. We had a bad practice the night before at Georgetown's little practice gym, I guess, um, or maybe it's their gym, but it, it, it wasn't very big. And um, I can, I, I mean, I can remember, and I, I'm, I wasn't a screamer, or, but I, I was really upset, and I was telling them how bad it was going to be if this is what we were going to bring to the game the next night. And um, uh, I, I don't, you know, I felt good about our plan, uh, and I can still remember this day that that Duke was was intentionally driving the ball to the middle of the floor and creating all kinds of problems for the people they were playing, you know, kickouts and dumps and scores. And we did a nice job of not letting them take the ball to the middle of the floor on on the dribble. Uh, and uh, and we hung in there and hung in there. And I don't mind telling you that 
when you play people like that, and there may be guys that have a different mindset than I do, but I kept saying, gosh, let's just – I hate it when you play somebody good for 32 minutes, then it ends up being a 20-point game, right? So I'm thinking, right. let's just hang in there. Uh, but we got to the point in the second half where we were down one, and I just thought this was, a, was the right time to show them something, whether I believed it or not. Uh, and, and just kind of got on them and said, excuse me for saying it this way, but I just said, what pisses me off, guys, is we're playing better than them and we're behind by one. Right, that's, that's a frustration. And yeah. just try to, try to deliver a message that to those guys, hey, we really do belong, and he thinks we're better than they are right now. And, um, you know, we, we, had a, we had a couple of uh, oh, just – Miss unfortunate breakdowns at the end of that game. Uh, some things I certainly would do differently. Um, we, we had a one-point lead with the ball, and we had a kid, Alex Renfro, left-handed guard, still playing professional he, he, over overseas. He's he he had a great game, uh, and and we we set a screen and roll for him, and uh, our guy in the corner lifted up and brought his man right into Alex's way, and he had to retreat and take a bad shot they go down and uh, and score and take the lead and then we came down and had an out of bounds play that I that I called that uh it's kind of it's got to be there it's a lob and we basically lobbed it right to them and, uh yeah I, you know there's a there's a lot of things about the end of that game I wish I could do over again uh but it made it made our program in a lot of ways um uh, I mean we were the team of the night that night, all everybody sw- that's back when it was just everybody switched to that game. The National Predators were playing at home, and they put the game on the big screen while the hockey game was going on. And uh, you know, it just uh, uh, it gave us a chance, and uh, and led to and led to uh, some teams in the you know 2011, 12, 13 that were were really really good teams. Ian Clark, who played for in the NBA for six years, and and a whole bunch of guys around him. Those guys all came to Belmont, I think, in part because what they saw in that Duke game. I don't. I don't think there's any question that you know. It's I um, ninety eight. We played Duke. Their number one ranked team. We were a, a nine seed. We were, I thought, uh, poorly seeded. And kind of same thing. Like played them to the wire. You know, our best player missed it open three, then a draw. I call it timeout when we only had one left. And so we didn't have timeouts the last two and a half minutes, whatever. And uh, we end up losing by six, but you end up becoming like the team of the day. Cause you almost beat Duke. But on the other hand, you're like, wait, we were better than them. We should have won that game. And it's a, it's a weird yeah. kind of space to be in. What I find fascinating though, is that that was a run that you guys had where you guys had made those three tournaments. But yeah. then there was the next couple of years of, of rebuilding. You mentioned Ian Clark and then kind of the, the next crew. You love building. That was one of the things that you loved about coming to Division One basketball. What was it like building it again, though, after you'd had that sustained success? And well, won in the it, league? we we weren't quite as good the next year, but we still were. were um, we tied for first in the conference, but it was a four-way tie, but it's still, it's still a tie. And um, – and then they get upset. Well, we have to go play Mercer at Mercer in the first round of four versus or three versus six seed and get beat, knock out in the first round and play in that college insider tournament and get a win in that. But in um, the next year, again, I think we finished second. Um, the, 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 
the thing that I probably have as much pride in is from that 2004 team you talked about through 2019, my last year, and you can add 20 to it for Belmont's program, never finished worse than, than third in a conference race, and only one time that, and that was that 2005 year. So the consistency within the level where we were trying to compete uh, was uh, uh, was probably the thing that, again, if you look at it from a basketball perspective, it's the hardest thing to do that we did. But, but yeah, we recruited, we recruited some good players in those couple of years. Still had good teams, not quite as good. And then, then Ian Clark, Karan Johnson, uh, two guards, uh, and then 2011 team we lead the country in scoring margin, and uh, and we played 11 guys over 10 minutes a game, and we had fresh players on the floor for all 200 minutes that five guys can play, and that was my favorite team to coach. Really? Uh, why? Just because of that, because we – I decided, and I say that, I like, I give my staff all the credit for a lot of things that uh, – but I think I just threw this one on them. Uh, we got to the point in, in preseason, practice, pre, yeah, preseason practice that I could see the depth we had, and I was going to have a hard time playing guys that were good uh, very many minutes if I stuck to an eight-person kind of rotation. So I decided we were going to press after every made field goal. Not not a crazy press, really a press to make us tired, believe it or not. And, right. Uh, so you can so so when guys come out of the game, they yeah. think they've done more because <laughs> they're a little tired, right? And and I ended up being able to. We were we were we were even, honestly, at every position. Two guys at every position. I say even. Ian Clark played twenty four minutes a game, the most of anybody wow. on the team. He was our best player, uh, and uh, and so. Uh, we just we we went on a home stand where we won four straight games by over thirty points. Uh, we started the season losing close to Tennessee and winning our next three games by average of about thirty five points. Um, and that system worked. I mean, it just uh, it it was just it it was fun. Uh, and we we ended up playing Wisconsin. And I thought it was easily our best chance. They had, they had just played awful in the Big Ten tournament, which probably hurt us badly, you know, because then he got them ready. Uh, but but they end up having a really good game. I thought they played really well. I thought we could have beaten them. Uh, but anyway, that, that stretch was was good uh, right through there, about four years of well, really Ian and Karan's class, really good. 2019. Your last year, um, when you're, you you get a chance to get to the first four, and you got a shot at Temple, and you finally win an NCAA tournament game. What did that? What do you remember about that locker room afterwards? What did that feel like? <laughs> oh gosh, it seemed like, uh, you know, it it almost seemed like even though those guys certainly hadn't been there for a long time and they hadn't suffered through, you know, seven NCAA first game losses before uh, it, it seemed like they, they also felt the weight of that. You haven't won an NCAA tournament game yet before. Uh, and um, so all of that was great. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of John Feinstein and he was covering the game for the Washington post. And we talked, we talked golf the whole time uh, <laughs> afterwards. And, uh, 
and then I and then we got on a plane. We had to get right on a plane fly to Jacksonville, and uh, you know I got to reflect on that flight about a lot of things. Uh, my dad had passed away. My dad and mom both a few just a couple of years earlier, and you know just thinking about how much that would have meant to him, and and uh, because you know he fostered me through so much to so that I could be a basketball coach, and uh, um, I was just really fortunate that. I knew it was going to be my last year. We hadn't announced it. Uh, talked to the president about it and AD Scott Corley, who played for me, and uh, uh, we decided it was best not to say anything and just play the year out. And uh, I would so to get to end my my career that way with a, with a you know end up having a first. You, you go beat UCLA, okay, <laughs> in the same year, and then you and then you get that at large pick, which nobody really had us on the board and then it seemed like everybody was happy for us that we were picked uh and then win the game which isn't easy in fran dunphy's last game uh and um and then and then a a backdoor tipped pass away from beating maryland in the in the next round so first round draft pick the nba that's a that's a pretty good way to get to go out it, it is now the, the backdoor play. It was the same play you ran against UCLA, right? It was a, it was a spinoff. Let me put it that way. I didn't want it. Okay, we so didn't it was, want it to look the same. Exactly. Uh, it, we figured, you know, everybody in the world saw that play after that game. I mean, I, again, I'm not on social media, but I, I heard enough about it and it got called panic. It got, because what you do is you want to create panic because you pick the ball up, act like you got no right. choices. Uh, so that part was the same, but we got people there in different ways. What did you actually call it if it wasn't called? We, I, I, I only called it panic because I yeah. thought that's what you guys called it, right? Uh, and then uh, some people call it Belmont. They're like, well, let's run Belmont because it's Belmont's <laughs> play. What was it actually called? It was it – was, uh, oh, our, our ball screens um, were called – you know, doesn't make any sense to anybody else, but our offense was four, okay, four out one in, four. When we set a ball screen, that was an 11. So it was 4-11 was, uh, was a ball screen in the middle of the floor. And, and we, called, we put Eastern on the end of it because we set this up for Eastern Kentucky because Jeff Neubauer tried to deny every pass uh, as soon as you crossed half court. So uh, yeah, that's my memory of what 4-11 Eastern is what we called the play. Uh, but it became panic. And then when people ask me about it, tell me about panic or how'd you run? Well, uh, it's, we didn't have panic, but, but it was, it was all the same concept of, uh, of trying to get people think that, that we're in a whole lot of trouble. And it, and it was there and their kid, their kid did a nice job. And that might've been, I know that, that Mark Turgeon and their staff was screaming back door from the other end of the, uh, so, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they, but the but the guy guarding the point guard got his fingertip on it, or it or it wasn't it wasn't Dylan Winter's guy that was going to stop it. And uh, uh, but you know the it worked at UCLA. <laughs> they don't always work. the UCLA thing's interesting. So so I, I don't know. I know you don't know this. So my uh, my dad had those tour teams. You guys remember? You remember those? Yeah. It became right. So it became the EA Sports and all this stuff. But those. Right. You know, when I played, you had Marathon Oil and you had uh, uh, yeah. some, some other teams like that and put Phillips together. Of, I, yeah. Yeah. And I really I I played I got to play against North Carolina. 
uh, in this deal. And, yeah. and we played in Carmichael, by the way. That, oh, that yeah. was a ton of fun. Yeah. You know, we, but the, the, so my dad was a, became an AU coach in Southern California and we had UCLA season tickets. And my sister went, uh, was a cheerleader there. My brother went to school there and I got offered a scholarship there and turned it down. I don't know if that was a mistake at the time or whatever, mm -hmm. but we went back and played. And at the time we actually handed UCLA, this was Lavin's last year, their worst loss on Paul Pavilion's floor. Huh. And I, and, and part of it is I'm a Southern California kid. I went to game after game after game there. My dad was like a basketball historian. And so he taught me about what UCLA meant and how dominant it was. And I, so for a kid like you who grew up basically on the sidelines in University of Tennessee watching Ray Mears and all these great SEC players, what do you remember about the feeling of beating UCLA at UCLA? Boy, I, I mean, I, I grew up and, and John Wooden was, it was all during that run. And, and he was, you know, I had his books. I worked his basketball camp. I, got, I, I went from Knoxville, Tennessee, and drove all the way to actually work George Ravelings camp for two weeks in Pullman, Washington, thinking, well, it's on the West Coast. It'll be, it won't be that bad. Well, it's 24 hour drive <laughs> to Thousand Oaks where Coach Wooden had his camp, worked his sure. camp there. I got to meet, uh, I got to meet his daughter who, comes to the games before the game, tell her all about that. I ate lunch with, with, uh, with, uh, coach Wooden one day at camp. So, um, you know, it wasn't the same teams, but, uh, you know, we, we got to win there. We got to win at North Carolina. Um, sure. you know, you, you, <laughs> we lost again to Duke by one, uh, at Cameron one time. So, uh, uh it was, uh, it was it was a highlight, big time. If you could, if you could explain to a young coach how you're able to sustain success, what would the answer be? I just, I, I really, I mean, it's back to making the choices of the people you have around you and deciding this is this is a, this is the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to stick to it. Uh, for me, uh, there was a lot about the character of our, of our of all the people involved in the program, that include all the players, not taking chances, um, picking guys from that, that hopefully had been well coached in high school from winning programs, expected to win guys that were physically and mentally tough, uh, and staying consistent with that. I, I, Doug, I I still think in recruiting that that a lot of coaches are just looking at a guy's physical ability to, to become a good basketball player. That doesn't make them the most effective basketball players. There's so many things yeah. that go into that. And uh, again, I think if we, there's no doubt in my mind that at a school like Belmont and, and, you know, fitting, fitting your program to your school, I think is important in college, but uh, there's no doubt that, um, that was our best chance to succeed. Could I go do that or could anybody go do that at Vanderbilt or, you know, any, you name, uh, can it be done at, at Northwestern? Can it be done at Stanford? You know, th those, those are the kind of schools where I think those kind of things might work, but that was our best way uh, to be different to some degree. We were, you know, we, we ran a different offense than anybody in the OVC. So when they when they played us, they didn't practice against it every day. They did, you know. We were different, and uh, 
you know, obviously Pete Creel's teams were really different when you had to play them back in the day. And anytime you played a, a Princeton style offense, it was different. It was hard. We weren't that, but we were different the way we played the game. And I think that gave us an advantage. I think it did too. I thought that was, I called your Arizona game and it was one of those, I had a really bad feeling for you. And it was because it was one of the few uh, high major teams that actually was playing small. And because you guys had such great spacing and ball handling, it didn't actually work against them because at that time they decided to play small and you, you know, you, you end up creating kind of mismatches, uh, for teams and your, your teams were so skilled. Now, part of it though, is I'm not sure you're giving yourself enough credit. You develop players as well, right? Like Dylan Windner wasn't, he was a 24 a game guy, but he wasn't a 24 a game guy when he got there his first couple of years, he got better and better and better. The, the culture of improvement and of skill development. What are your, what are your thoughts on how you build that within your program in terms of how hands-on were you as a head coach, yeah. that, um, that, getting guys and things like that fundamentals in every day in practice. That's where I, that's where I, well, I think fundamentals in practice and being demanding in those areas, I was okay at, I think the skill development goes way more to, to my staff than to me. I mean, I, I would, I would be at some of our individual workout stuff, but not all of them at all. And they ran them. And uh, so uh, it was, it's, it's definitely important. I'm still though, Doug was always kind of a dinosaur old school guy. I also want our guys to be able to be regular students as much as we could. And we were not nearly the 365 day a year program. Uh, We didn't have mandatory summer stuff for our guys and uh, the last few years we they would come in june when we had basketball camps they worked the camps and we'd get some practices in but they'd go home and uh, i don't i don't think it hurt us i mean I, I think i think guys were well-rounded and relaxed and they were excited when the old school october practices rolled around yeah they didn't they didn't get tired of each other Right. Yeah. That, that's part of it. You didn't, you or, or they get, didn't get, get tired, tired of me. There, I, I, I have this. I, I believe that, that there's a mandatory limit <laughs> that, a, that, a, that a coach can go over. You got to be here. You got to be study hall. You got to be doing this. You got to be doing this. And they control lives. And maybe that's maybe that's a good thing at some places with some kids. But for our kids who are pretty mature and pretty good self-starters, um, we were OK. Uh, but, you know, let, letting them, letting them go. And they love the game. That was another thing. Recruit guys that love the game. They don't want to go play pickup when we're not telling them to. I don't, I don't want them. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. 
if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Um. It's interesting. You, you've talked a lot about Lipscomb and that rivalry and, and what it meant for you to overcome Lipscomb and ultimately become kind of the dominant powerhouse within the city of, of Nashville. Casey comes over from Lipscomb and is now, what is that like for you to have the man who's on your sidelines as a guy who came over from Lipscomb? Well, you know, Casey, Casey played for me. He was on that 95, 37 and two, and he was my assistant for 15 years. So I let Lipscomb borrow him for, for a few years, but, uh, <laughs> but, but was there, there was no, what was interesting to me and I had him on my podcast and we talked about this, Yeah. but there was some guys, not all. Okay. Some guys though, they, well, you go to the other side. That's the dark side. Like you're, <laughs> you're kind of, you know, you, you understand what I'm in terms of a rivalry. Like I know he's your guy. I know he played for you, yeah. assistant for you. I, yeah. but, but you occupied the same city and that you were rivals yeah. and now he's back on your sideline. There was, there was no hesitation for you in terms of that happening. No, I, I, I think, I think he and I go a lot deeper than that. And uh, I was, uh, I was as honest as I could be with Philip Hutchison when he talked to me about Casey, about, uh, about how good a coach I thought he was, and he was a great choice. Uh, you know, it, it goes back to what you talk about assistant coaches. What I, I was always for what's best for them. We had those guys for 10 years, the same guys, but, you know, I tried to help Casey get some head jobs during that time, and, and anytime anybody else had a better chance, help them get it. There, there are more important things in this world than actually than winning the next basketball game or maybe even the next championship. And uh, people that you care about, you want the best for them. And it really helped me. You know, it's it's easy to, to get edgy about a huge rival and just decide you don't like anything about them. Well, I liked plenty about them when Casey was there. Um, and, and I do now. Lenny Acuff is really a good man and really a good basketball coach that's there now. And, uh, you know, I find myself um, pulling for Lipscomb the last several years when <laughs> – <laughs> when, when, frankly, I never would have before. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's it's interesting because, but here's here's maybe the the part that, in addition to getting to the College Basketball Hall of Fame and winning 
an NCAA tournament game in your last year and winning all those games at, at, at Belmont. The idea, though, that if you think about it, from when you arrived at Belmont, where Lipscomb is the reigning national champion, to now, it wasn't a question. I mean, even Casey told us it wasn't a question. Belmont asked, I'm taking that job, right? That it wasn't, and I know he played there into alma mater, but to leave Lipscomb for Belmont and it, no one batting an eye because Belmont is the more prestigious program only speaks volume for what you guys have. That's, that's a fair way to look at it, isn't it? Well, I think it is. I think a lot of lot goes in that. I appreciate it. Our, our best. We did have a, Hey, look, I lost a lot of games to, to Lipscomb over the NAI years, but we, we ended up with a pretty good run one, maybe 11 in a row at one point. Um, and until Casey beat me a couple of times, soundly, by the way, not close, just beat yes. it. Rear end. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, but the school, the school as a whole, really, really has grown in, in prestige and in rec the, the recognition it receives regionally, uh, certainly in national, certainly in Nashville and, and nationally for that matter. So uh, all that came together to make Belmont at this point uh, a better job. Your greatest success story as a coach, as a player, it doesn't have to be Ian because he made it to the NBA could be somebody who's a champion in business or somebody who's a champion in life. If somebody said, coach, who's your greatest success story? Who would it be? Oh, you should have submitted that to me before now. Uh, <laughs> uh, you're, you're talking about just an individual. Um, oh gosh. I, I'm, I'm going to, there's so many, so many kids, um, uh, I, I don't I don't have a good one that comes to mind that's that stands out. I don't mean I've got a lot of good a lot of good ones, a yeah. lot of ton of guys I'm proud of. Uh nothing jumps out at me uh as is a, a young man that um uh there's there's a ton of them that have gone on. Gosh, I've got a lot of All guys. Right, how, about, how about this? How about, how about this? Ian, okay, for Ian to make it. Yeah. What what uh what was he like when you first got him? He, he, I thought he was an SEC level player. Uh, I remember standing by Bruce Pearl, and Bruce didn't like his uh, his release. And turns out he, you know, he shot a pretty good percentage from three, like forty something over his career. And and uh, now Bruce, he makes plenty of good calls on players. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but uh, uh, he didn't get recruited there in Middle Tennessee State, and that's won him pretty badly. And we got we were fortunate and won that battle. He was. Uh, uh, he was and probably still is a little little skinnier than, than he needed to be to be as good as he could be. Uh, but he loved the game. He worked at it. He was humble throughout his career. Uh, he was easy to coach, and that's not always the case uh, when it comes to guys who who get better and better and better while they're there. Uh, so uh, we, I didn't have to coach entitled guys, Doug, and, and – uh, that that's a that's a tremendous relief uh, for a basketball coach, any coach, to not have to deal with that kind of mentality. Uh, so, uh, you know, it just would it, it would be more the whole of it. The the and I and I said this about this award, and I mean it. The game is about players, and I know coaches stay in places a long time, but it's supposed to be about players, and that's the guys that deserve the credit. And I can't. I can't. I don't know what that award looks like physically, but I can't chip off enough pieces to give to all the players that got me there. 
Well, you did get there, and a lot of it is you and the people you surround yourself with and your leadership and, and, and what it meant to not just the program, but as you point out, the school, because the school, and I do think that, that Duke Game is as responsible for uh, the growth of the program and the school as, as any of the other wonderful things that go on at that university. It's just crazy how it works. It brought yeah. so much attention to what you had been building and what the school had been building. And now I think even doubly so, you go into the Hall of Fame, it marks, look at this incredible history, 30 years of success, and that you're able to keep it going with, with Casey makes it even more special. Yeah. To, and, and, and sustainable sustainable success is really, really hard in business and yeah. life and in basketball, especially because there's always somebody taking a shot at the big guy, right? You're right. You're right. Thank you. Well, listen, I cannot tell you how appreciative I am of your time. Uh, it was always wonderful to call your games. I hope to in induct you next year in Kansas City. I hope so. Hope you, hope you and your family are well, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thanks, Doug. See you. Thanks, Coach. Bye-bye. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. Man, that was amazing to catch up with Rick Bird. Such an outstanding human being, great basketball coach, and, and leader of men. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we have... A cornucopia of previous guests, including um, the man who replaced him as head coach at Belmont. We got we got so much so much stuff to get to. Uh, simply amazing. Just check out the All Ball podcast. Check out our archives, and you won't want to miss all of the guests we have upcoming as well. By the way, you know what you can do. You can go to my face my uh, Instagram page at Gottlieb Show, and if you have a question or a message, I will read it on air on my next pod. Got that at Gottlieb show on the Instagram page. I'll check out the messages. I haven't checked those things out for a long time. And then I did. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's actually how I caught up with little Wayne was like little Wayne had been texting me on, on IG. I'm like, I'm never on that. My son was like, Hey dad, little Wayne is texting you. Like, what? Anyway, the daily show is three to six Eastern 12, three Pacific. We talk all sports. And uh, again, my appreciation to you, to Rick bird, but also, don't forget to download, subscribe, rate, write a review for us. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today.
Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.